0: Stay refreshed with Taste Salud, the ultimate hydration experience. Dive into the world of agua frescas, designed to elevate your day, boost your energy, stay hydrated, and unwind with Salud's On-the-Go stick packets, each with just one gram of sugar. Exclusive for our listeners. Enjoy a 10% discount on your first order with code TASTE10 at checkout. Visit TasteSalud.com for the full selection. Taste the difference with Taste Salud. Cheers to health.
1: kick is live. It is Thursday night, August 25th, the year of our Lord 2022. The countdown is over. The wait is over. And you know what gives me a warmth in my heart? We made it together. We are jam packed, high atop an anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of you have to wait until week one, but Nashville's team, Vanderbilt, they got a week zero game. I'm actually going to spend 45 or so seconds on that game at the end of the show. We're going to talk a little week zero, but I've got a lot to get to before them. Got a lot of quarterback intel. A lot of battles out there, if they have been decided, they have not publicly been decided. And so I'm going to try and separate what's illusion from what's a true down-to-the-wire battle, and I'm going to go through about half a dozen programs for you in just a second. You know the mood tracker is a staple of Late Kick, and I'm going to update some mood trackers for some fan bases. I think we've had that much movement over the past few months, and you're emotional well-being, that I think we need to update the mood tracker. I'm going to give you several breakout players to watch this year, and I, as I said, I'm going to not ignore Week Zero. We will give you a nice feel and a nice tee-up for Nebraska, Northwestern, and beautiful Dublin, Ireland. I hear the locals over there have really taken to the folks from Lincoln. No confusion whatsoever. They're watching us in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, Brainerd, Minnesota is tuned in, Baxley, Georgia, and Lancaster, PA. Let me tell you what's happening right now. The company came to me a couple of weeks ago. A good friend of the program, but also management, Sam Batesh, came to me and said, would you be interested in auctioning something off for cancer research? I said, absolutely. We're down for it. So what the company decided to do is just auction off a 30-minute private Zoom chat with me. And I figure, actually, I have no idea what that's worth in your mind. So the auction went live yesterday. I'm going to post the uh, link here in the chat, actually. It's also in the description right under the YouTube video if you're watching Replay. Uh, The auction's kind of gotten a little out of control already, and there are still eight days left. Director Colin and producer Jesse and I were kind of speculating what it was going to get to, and I think it's at like $710 or $720 at the moment. So, um, people have paid far less for access with me, but 100% of these proceeds are going to St. Jude Cancer Research. So, if you feel that you really have a gaping hole in your life and the only thing that could fill it is 30 private minutes with me, I'm not pulling a Bud Elliott. I'm, I'm leaving nothing off limits. Clothes are going to stay on, but nothing else is off limits. Uh, you can find that link there in the show description. It all goes to a very worthwhile cause. Okay, let's dive into the show tonight. Quarterback battles. Still a number of them at some very high-profile programs that we need to dive into. I think some of these have been decided. Some of them haven't, but none of them have been publicized, and I think that's going to change in the next couple of days. We're sitting here live Thursday night, so let's dive in and let's start with one that we've had our eye on very, very closely, and that's the quarterback battle at LSU. Jaden Daniels, uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, still neck and neck. Brian Kelly, uh, the other day, I think as recently as yesterday, was quoted as saying, if I were to pull my coach's room, they'd kind of be split. I never know what to make of that sort of thing because there's a lot of posturing and angling going on. Uh, this late in the game. But Brian Kelly, head coach there at LSU, get used to it, kids. He did say by the end of this weekend, he hopes to make an announcement. So I think we will have a starter named. I just want to reiterate because nothing has changed in my gut on this front. I want to reiterate the intel that we've gotten from LSU has been no matter who takes the field in week one against Florida State, do not assume that week one is the season. Now, it may very well be that Jaden Daniels, who for the record, I believe has the lead right now and has for about a week or so, it could be that Jaden Daniels takes the field, never gives you any reason to take him off the field. Those are the benefits of securing the ability to start for your team. But we have seen countless times, you and I, when someone does get that benefit because they've been a good practice player, but it doesn't translate over to game day as well. And so it's it's sort of ugly, it's sort of blah, and you give that QB2 a shot, and that QB2 all of a sudden lights a spark famously. Another SEC West team saw that happen with Blake Barnett. Hoomst? Exactly. You don't remember him because Jalen Hurts was QB2, got the shot, and never relinquished it. Anyway, let's just keep an eye. This, this is not an apples to apples thing. Both of these are very good quarterbacks, we think. But let's keep an eye on this. I do think, obviously, we will have an answer as to who's going to start against Florida State by mm, early next week, maybe even Sunday. We'll see. Next up, we have not spoken about this one a lot. I've been watching it, but I haven't talked about it on the show a lot. North Carolina has announced a starting quarterback. Some of you think, oh, it's 7.05. You're barely into the show. Why are you talking about North Carolina? Well, number one, I like North Carolina. Number two, I don't know if you've paid attention to the odds in the ACC, but it is Clemson, and then there's Miami as the second team, and there is a lot of just jumbling behind them. So let's just say the ACC ends up playing out like the Big 12 did last year where Baylor had the second-to-worst odds to win the conference, and they end up winning it. North Carolina right now is one, two, three. They're the fifth odds-on favorite to win the ACC. This is not a team that's been left for dead in the eyes of odds makers, quite like they have in the eyes of the good old college football public. And uh, the reason they've been left for dead in the eyes of the college football public is because most of you, including me, expected something from them last year. They didn't deliver, and the college football public is a very scornful bunch. You may be amongst them. And so you tossed North Carolina to the side, but I have not quite tossed them to the side yet. So what do we have here? We got Drake May, who was the former Alabama commit, and they they grabbed him. And it wasn't one of those deals where Bama said we don't have a spot for you anymore, go look elsewhere. Drake May was good enough to sign with and play at Alabama if he wanted to, but they got him to decommit. He committed to North Carolina a couple cycles ago. He's been named tentatively the starter by Mac Brown. They're playing. Florida A&M, they play this weekend. They play a Week 0 game. Jacoby Criswell, though, is right in this thing. This does not sound like something that's really been settled. It sounds like they know they got to trot someone out there to take the first snaps. And this is kind of the way Mac Brown phrased it. He said he's going to take the field first, I think were the words he used. So I think it's pretty safe to assume we're going to see both of those guys a healthy amount. Don't know if anything's going to be settled against Florida A&M. I think they go to App State in week two or week three. Like, I get some weird road games. Yeah, look at the schedule. It's really strange. This is the University of North Carolina. They go to Appalachian State in week two. They go to Georgia State, formerly the Turner Field, home of the Atlanta Braves there. I'll, I'll drive by that place way, way later tonight, as it turns out. So, yeah, what in the world are they doing? You know what? I'm not here to question scheduling this deep into the summer. I'm just saying, they got Notre Dame. 924, Notre Dame comes into Chapel Hill. That's the first time most of you will probably watch North Carolina on national television. By then, I think we will know who the starting quarterback there is. At Auburn, seems that late kick may be headed to Auburn earlier this season than we thought, and it's probably not just going to be in the classical every given Saturday format. So, more on that later. But in the meantime, who are we going to see starting a quarterback there? Nothing's changed on, on our end. We feel like T.J. Finley has been the leader in the clubhouse there for over a week. Let me, let me put it this way. At least a week, T.J. Finley's been the leader there. I talked to you last week, and I still feel the same way, that Zach Calzada has not had that charge like I thought he would in fall. Doesn't mean it's over for him, but it means if he's going to make a move, it will probably have to occur during the season, and it gets infinitely harder because you're not just run in fall camp structure anymore. You're game prepping week in and week out. So crazier things have happened. Uh, point being, looks like maybe Robbie Ashford, the Oregon transfer, would be the number two there if they played a game today. And they do play one next week. Now we have talked many, many times about Auburn's schedule. They are one of these teams, AM's another one, where they don't dive in immediately against top 25 competition so they can afford for this quarterback battle if it if it does to spill over into the season. You play Mercer, you play San Jose State, that Penn State game in week three, that's when you need things figured out. I've got a similar feeling with Auburn as I do with that LSU quarterback battle. Just because someone takes the field in week one doesn't mean they're the one automatically taking the field in week three. Now, I do kind of get the sense that T.J. Finley has a little more secure position, if you want to call it that, at that QB1 spot right now. Than Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer, because I really think it's kind of a neck and neck thing down at LSU. So they get the tune up games. You see the 2021 offensive output, it was bad. Uh, total yards per game, mid 60s, pass yards per game, around 60th. So you got Tank Bigsby at running back. Outside of that, I don't think there is a known commodity, even regionally, about this Auburn offense. So, you know, they, they've got some quiet confidence down there team wise. We'll see how much of that resides in or is founded in what they can do offensively. I have not spoken to you about Oregon in a couple of weeks now as it relates to the quarterback spot. And I still think I'm right on this. But, man, Dan Lanning, new head coach out there, is not giving anything about the starting Oregon quarterback position. Now, you know Bo Nix transferred, ironically from Auburn, out to Oregon. And I think you know Ty Thompson, a former high four-star quarterback out of Arizona. He's been there for a little while. Feels like a lot longer, but he's only been there two years, and apparently there's been a quarterback battle going on up there. I don't want to, I don't want to leave Jay Butterfield out because uh, we left Ashford out. And this gets really incestuous now because Ashford's at Auburn, but was a former Oregon quarterback. So there's just been this revolving door from Auburn to Oregon, from Oregon to Auburn. Anyway, I still think Bo Nix is going to start at quarterback for them. However, no one really has a good feel. They open by the way, against Georgia, Oregon versus Georgia next Saturday afternoon in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in what sources are telling me is a neutral site game. Yes, Oregon is going to fly across three time zones and Georgia is going to hop on a bus and head an hour or so down the road, depending on traffic, and they're playing a neutral site game there in Atlanta. Yeah, something tells me there will be no neutral site game in Portland featuring these two teams, but there is a neutral site game in Atlanta. Every time, as I tweeted earlier this week, that a college football regular season game happens in a neutral venue, an angel loses its wings. The only exemptions are OU Texas, Army, Navy, and Georgia, Florida, and some of you pushed back even on that. I hate this, but it is what it is. I think we'll see decrease in the future, but it is what it is now. I think that Bo Nix is going to end up being the starter here. Now, if he's not, then it means one of two things. Either Bo Nix just didn't grab the job and they're going to be bad at quarterback, or maybe Ty Thompson made a move. Let me remind you of something with Oregon. This is a surprisingly and probably an underrated deep stable of receiver talent. Not all of it has been realized, but they've got some receivers. They've got some players. Can we find anyone to get ball to them? That really is the million-dollar question for Oregon. So we think it's Bo Nix to be continued. At Texas A&M. For as, for as much attention as is paid to Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher's been able to keep this quarterback battle pretty close to the vest. I'll tell you why. Because it's real, pretty much. That's how he's been able to do it. Haynes King is my bet to start for them week one. Uh, but I certainly think that Max Johnson, if he were to have a good couple of weeks of practice, it's not something that is unforeseen or out of the realm of possibility that he could end up being the starter. I. I've been having a lot of fun, though, reading some of the practice intel and some of the scrimmage intel and talking to a couple of folks fairly close to the program because there's just this, there's this wide range of opinions amongst people who are seeing the same thing and, and following the same program out there. Uh, they have not been perfect. Offensively, they've been far from a perfect product in practice, which they've got in common with everyone, but turnovers have been somewhat of an issue still, and I just— I chalk that up partially to the fact that they're not a finished product offensively. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you it's going to be an electric factory from Bell 1 when it comes to Jimbo Fisher's offense, but I just think they're really good defensively. I think they they got a ton of depth up front, and I think that that offense is facing one of the best defensive units it will face all year, every day in practice. That's what I think is happening. So I, I happen to think a and is going to pleasantly surprise some people early on offensively. That's my feel on them. Uh, Also in the state of Texas, quickly wanted to update you on TCU. That's been a Chandler Morris, Max Duggan battle. Sonny Dykes is the new head coach there in Fort Worth. They are talking about playing both guys week one. Uh, We've got it on pretty good word. This is Chandler Morris' job to lose. I don't expect some 50-50 or 60-40 rep split when they open the season. I think it's going to be Chandler Morris. Uh, That is, you know, according to our crack sources on the ground in and around Fort Worth. So, That's noteworthy if it happens. That's the kid who beat Baylor last year. That's him. That's old Chandler Moore. So he's a redshirt sophomore. He's played in four games. And therefore, I don't really think I need to go down his stat sheet. But let's just keep an eye on that, TC. Because TCU is, is some folks' dark horse. The rest of the American population is sided with Kansas State. But some folks have TCU as their dark horse in the Big 12. So we'll see. Academy Sports and Outdoors, a presence all throughout the Big 12, a presence all throughout the South, but a presence everywhere. They have a presence in your life. Because I've got an eye, Josh, here. You've got an eye, whatever your name happens to be. And you've got Academy.com accessible via the internet on your phone, on your computer. And so I know what you guys need. You're about to start heading out to tailgate. How beautiful is that to say? Let's just say it again together. You're about to start heading out to tailgate and you need the chairs, and you need the grills, and you need the tents, and you need the gear, you need the seasoning. Do you know who has all that? Not one of the big chain websites. Amazon, not, I almost said the chain website, didn't I? No, Academy Sports and Outdoors has all of that, whether you go in the building or whether you go online to academy.com. So it is the season. Tis the We don't have to wait until December around here to say that. Tis the season for us. And before you really crank it up, Go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. They've got your hookup for anything outdoors related and beyond that you need this fall. All right, uh, one of our most popular segments, regardless of what time of year it is, is the mood tracker. The mood tracker is just where we take it upon ourselves to take the temperature of any given fan base. Sometimes we'll do just one fan base. Tonight, one, two, three, I wanted to run down five of them right quick. And I wanted to just give you a little update. I think this helps. I think it is a worthwhile practice for those of you who follow the entire sport instead of just your team. To understand, because a lot of you bet on this. A lot of you are in pick'em leagues. And a lot of you just like to have a well-rounded view of the sport. And it really helps to know, at the ground level, what other fan bases are feeling. Colin, here's your better end right here. Mood tracker. We're going to update several moods for fan bases here. And I want to start with Texas. The mood around Texas, I have listed as hook'em and hope. Hook'em part is obvious. I think the hope part is obvious, too. There is promise with this team there's anticipation, there is tempered excitement. They've had some injuries, but on the plus side, you know, they had a really good recruiting class that came in, a couple of those, several of those young guys are going to play early. They've got Quinn Ewers, the guy they thought would start for him at quarterback, as it turns out, is gonna start for him. Uh, They are among the favorites in terms of odds to win the Big 12, and yet, people really don't know. There's a lot of hope. You know, I think at this point, Texas fans are just, they're locked in and whatever bad news they hear, you know, whatever bad whispers they hear, whatever injury concerns they have, it's too late. Like you're already headed down the ramp now. So it's just for better or for worse, white knuckle it, hold on tight, hook them and hope. Now, what I think is going to be interesting, as you see their over under win total on the screen here is over under 8.5. That's down from nine a couple of weeks ago. I think the injuries finally got noticed nationally. I think that the most interesting part about Texas to me is there's going to be a lot of attention out of the gate because they play Bama in week two. And then I wonder what the attention is going to turn to because that's not when they dive into conference play. They don't start conference play until the last week of September. And then it's just nonstop conference play. And last year, it was sort of a tale of two halves in games. They started getting leads and then they squandered lead after lead after lead. And they had a really bad losing streak to close out the year last year. They didn't make a bowl game. So I wonder what progress is viewed as this year. Well, What if they win eight games? Well, the under hit, but they won eight games. We've got them winning eight for the record. That's what the model has. So at Texas, you could win the Big 12. Y- you could just fall flat on your face and not make a bowl game again. I don't think that's likely, but it's in the worst case scenario realm. But I think it's just hook them and hope at this point. And then you also hope you continue to recruit line of scrimmage talent the way that you did in this last cycle, so that in the future you don't have to worry about being so perilously thin at such key positions. What about Tennessee? The Tennessee Volunteers mood heading into 2022. And how often have we longed to say this on the show, uh, but been shot down by HR? In Hooker, we trust. Singular, of course. It is the name of the starting quarterback there at the University of Tennessee. They'll, They'll go as far as he takes them. Now it's refreshing that we can finally say that and we can write a starting name in pen, not pencil, at the quarterback position at Tennessee cuz you remember, you guys remember the last several years when it wasn't so easy. So it's nice to come into a season where we've got the quarterback position answered, figured out. So the only thing that can derail that is injury, and we don't talk about such things on this show. So outside of Hendon Hooker, how do we get over this 8 win total? How do we get to 9 and 3, which I think is what the model had for Tennessee? So we we happen to lean Big orange a little bit this year. I just think that there are two things that they're really vibing on at Tennessee right now. Enough so that some of the fan base has started to put us in their hype videos. Remember the rule around here you put us in your hype video, we're going to put you on the show. That's at the university level, of course. I think they're vibing on the fact that offensively, they just feel like they run the most plays per minute of any team in the country at the Power Five level. Uh, they've got quarterback solidified. Guys like Cedric Tillman are prepared to go from just being household names in Knoxville to being household names regionally and nationally. They don't have much question about what they're capable of offensively. If you have not noticed, let me fill you in on something. They've been talking about defense. Yeah, believe it or not. They've been talking about defense and the D word, depth, around Tennessee. Uh, what they're not talking about as of yet is a bunch of high four and five star type depth. What they are excited about is they've got more guys to rotate, especially along the defensive line, but they've also got more guys they trust to put on the field. Makes a lot of difference. Doesn't really matter the height and weight on your roster if guys' heads are swimming, and you can't trust them on the field. Your, your talent level is what it is, but man, to have more guys they can trust, that's what Josh Heupel's talked a lot about. He's talked a lot about increasing the depth level, and he's, he's just flat out told the assembled media up there, you'll see, you'll notice this year, we got better depth. This is not a team that has to hold folks under 20 points to win. They can score. So, I mean, how do they start to feel going into Saturday? By the time they play at LSU, October 8th, for example, and we've gotten a couple of big games out of the way by then, are, are you going into Death Valley saying, we need 35 minimum to think that we've got a shot? We, we need 35 minimum. Or are you saying, you know what? Defense has held its own so far this year, and they're, they're kind of coming around they're getting better and better. I think that ultimately determines whether it's a 7-8 win or an 8-9 win or a 9-10 win kind of season. What about Michigan State? I almost just burned a quote of Mel Tucker's on someone else, uh, but uh, luckily I was able to hold it in there. Michigan State, I think the mood right now is just blow the whistle. This is a program that is kind of used to not garnering a ton of national accolades and respect. I won't call it disrespect, only because it's lame. People talk about it all the time. but I think that they're totally comfortable there. Whether you're talking about Mark D'Antonio or you're talking about Mel Tucker, one of the carryover aspects of their respective programs is they don't really need the preview magazine hype. They don't really need to be leading every national show. They know what they have. Their most exciting time is when we finally start playing. See, some of your teams out there, whether you know it or not, have already enjoyed every bit of shine they're going to get. They win summer national championships. They win fall camp national championships. Well, at Michigan State, they don't get any of that. Just like last year, that's why they're excited to get in the season because they actually do their winning in the season at Michigan State. And unlike some of our brethren in the national scene, they feel like they've got something sustainable there. Now, I know if you look at the win totals and you look at a lot of the predictions and projections, you are led to believe that Everybody expects this team to fall back to earth. Our model has them at eight and four. So do we expect them to fall back to earth? And that's kind of a byproduct of playing a pretty tough schedule. But also, this is the kind of program that looks at that kind of stuff. And, and also at the end of the year, it's the kind of program where if what happened last year is sustainable, you'll just continue to see surpassing expectation. And at the end of December, you'll, you'll be asking yourself, how did, how did that team end up above these teams if all you believe in is recruiting rankings, if all you believe in is mock drafts. Now, eventually, they'll put together the kind of roster that matches up. They're not there yet, uh, but they can, they can portal and classically recruit their way there eventually. But in the meantime, Michigan State, they got no problem with the doubt. I, I think they kind of probably feed on it. But I think the fan base collectively is, has bought into that too of, you know, we're not going to go around and bang every disrespect drum. We get it. That's fine. That's kind of who we are. But As long as we play the season in the fall, that's where we'll do our talking. And that's what I think the entire mentality is up there right now. At Florida, there are kind of two different lenses. And so I think the mood at Florida right now is split vision. You can call it double vision if you want to, but it's kind of a different meaning than what I'm talking about. Split vision, sort of one eye on the season, one eye on the recruiting class. Because whatever they do this year is largely just what Billy Napier is doing with most of the pieces that Dan Mullen and his staff left behind. But that's not what has you excited about the future if you're a Florida fan. What has you excited is after a little bit of sputtering at the beginning of this recruiting cycle, all of a sudden they've come on and they're putting together a class that may end up finishing inside the top 10. That's where it's hovering right now. Uh, We've talked about that a lot on this show, so this is not a Florida recruiting segment, but that's how the fan base feels. You know, the fan base is looking at this year, and you don't take a year off at Florida. Florida fans want to win every year, but they also— kind of look at this season, and as long as things don't just fall off the rails, the over-under seven, for example, as long as we're not five and seven or something like that, as long as we have a good, respectable product on the field that doesn't torpedo our recruiting class, we're fine. Because there's going to be a but at the end of the season, no matter if you're a seven-win team. You got seven wins, but look at what we've got coming in, but look at what this staff could potentially do selling this vision and transfer portal. So I think that they fully realize, no, nah, we can't be laying an egg this year. And they got enough, especially starting 22 talent, to not do that. This is probably the team in the SEC that can't afford massive amounts of injuries. But look at how they start. Utah and Kentucky, two of the most veteran staffs in America, two of the most hard-nosed teams in their respective conferences. It gets gonna be tough. Those are tough draws right out of the gate. Those are winnable, those are losable. And then they go to Tennessee in week four, and by that point, that, that'll be kind of phase one. And then phase two is the LSU, Georgia, a and South Carolina stretch. So there are two real big sort of phases for Florida this year. I think they'll be an evolving team too, by the way. I, unless you just tell me they got too much injury to overcome, I think you'll see a fair amount of progression week over week and then month over month with them this year. But make no mistake, one eye is on the season. But with that fan base, you got another eye that's focused on that recruiting class. I want to stay in the state of Florida and I want to finish with Miami. Miami, Miami's got kind of a now and later mood about the program now, which sort of blends with the Florida feel. Now, we knew we were going to be saying this about Miami because the day Mario Cristobal came in, folks started talking recruiting way more than they even talked about this year. The difference is they've got a team that can win the division this year. They've got a team that could potentially contend for a conference championship this year. A lot of things that have to go right, uh, but they've, they've got a really good quarterback there, a potential first or second round talent at quarterback. They're over-unders, eight and a half wins. Our model has them winning 10 games. You know, so it could be a special year down there. So that's the now. You know, th- this is not a program. This is not a fan base that's looking around and saying, we got our new staff. Let's give them a couple of years to rebuild and then we'll be right there. Uh-uh, nor should you feel that way. They've got good enough talent. They, they were not a bad team last year. Well, let me rephrase. They weren't a good enough team last year. It wasn't a bad roster last year. It's not a bad roster now. This thing, they're favored. You guys realize this? They're favored to win the division. If odds were to just play out as is, they would play for the conference championship game in year one under Mario Cristobal. So I, uh, I've told you, obviously excited to see Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback, really excited to see young guys like Nigel Lee Kelly and a lot of that freshman class Come on, uh, defensively, especially in the front. Think their pass rush will probably keep them in games and give them the ability to win turnover battles and thus swing some games. They go to A&M in week three. I wonder who'll have the quarterback edge that day. Home field matters there, but factoring that in, I wonder. But outside of that, look at the sort of the core of Miami's schedule. You stop me when you see the insurmountable hurdle here: Middle Tennessee, North Carolina, at Virginia Tech, Duke, at Virginia, FSU. At Georgia Tech, it's the last two games of the season that are the meat of their schedule. You've long since figured your team out by this point. At Clemson, November 19, and Pitt at home. I can't stress enough how important it is that Miami doesn't have to go to Pitt. There is so much nodding of the head in South Florida at me saying that right now. So, we'll see. Even if they start fast and they're, they're a story most of the year and then they They taper off at the end of the year, and they end up missing out on the conference title game. If that happens, it happens. But there's obviously a ton of upside. Everyone's excited around Miami about the future of the recruiting classes. But it's not just, we're investing in the future. It's a, let's go ahead and win now, and then we'll also win in the future. Speaking of the state of Florida, they're watching us in Jacksonville, Florida, but also Jacksonville, Alabama. How many of you out there, by the way, have fallen for the trap of thinking that Jacksonville State is in Jacksonville, Florida. But I think a lot of you. I, I used to fall for it, and I grew up next to Alabama. So, no, it's in Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, San Marcos, Texas is tuned in. Laurel, Mississippi, done some storm chasing in Laurel, tuned in. Do me a favor, if you will, because producer Jesse is violently shaking the teleprompter in front of me. You know what I'm asking. Like the video. We're at 381 right now. We've got more than triple that tuned in. So just click the little thumbs-up button, and that's it. Thank you in advance. If nothing else, shut Jesse up. I need to address a question that was sent to us earlier today. So here's Director Colin teeing up the question. Lisa wanted to know, who are some breakout players I should be watching? I got some for you. Truthfully, I meant to do this two weeks ago, and we got bombarded. I, I don't remember what news broke, but I didn't get to it. So you know what this means. Paper pop time. These are going to be some big time players this year. Mozzie Smith is one that I need you to know. Michigan fans know him because he started for him last year, but because of bigger names along the defensive front, you probably didn't hear his name a lot. He's a defensive tackle for Michigan. What's everyone talking about with Michigan right now? You know the answer to this it's who they lost. And therefore, if you're not picking them to do anything special this year, it's because of who they lost. And my whole theory this time of year is. I only want to hear you tell me who a team lost if you're going to tell me who they have. This guy, Michigan, has. And he started for him last year, tests off the charts. When you talk to folks around Michigan and ask them, who are the most impressive physical specimens on this team, it doesn't take too long before they start talking about Mr. Smith here. He played 14 games last season, had 37 total tackles. He is great versus the run, but if you also look at some of the advanced numbers, he has one of the best getoffs and therefore one of the best pass rush presences of anyone in his position in America. He is poised to break out this year uh, for Michigan defensively. And if I'm right, and they're right there in the playoff mix towards the end of the year, and you're trying to figure out how did they replace Aiden Hutchinson? How did they replace? Well, it's probably not because they put another first-round edge rusher out there. It's probably because in the aggregate, they made up that production with guys like Mozzie Smith. What about Jared Ivey? Talked about him a couple of months ago. I need to reiterate because the season's about to start. Jared Ivey as a defensive end was at Georgia Tech. Now he's at Ole Miss. It's an under-the-radar pickup because everyone's focused on the quarterback situation with Jackson Dart there at Ole Miss. But this is a big pickup for them defensively. Ole Miss, surprisingly deep along the defensive front. I don't think people associate them with that. He played 13 games. He started 13 games over two years for Georgia Tech. He, listening to Lane Kiffin talk about him, you can tell... They know what they have. They, they'd prefer the rest of the nation not to know, but he's got elite height, weight, pass rush combo. And I told you, NFL scouts, you know, as they make their way around the SEC, they'll talk about guys. Well, the NFL scouts around the South are talking about Zach Evans, and they're talking about Jared Ivey. Those are the old Miss guys they're talking about. So he can play anywhere they really need him to along the defensive line. And they're not a guy, or he's not a guy, they're gonna have to ride every snap. So they're not going to have to wear him out because they've got good enough depth. Which, again, I don't think many people associate with Ole Miss. I want to go to, you know where I'm going to go? I don't think we've been here in quite a while. Washington State for a second. There's an interesting dynamic unfolding here. I've talked to you about Cam Ward, the quarterback transfer. But I've talked to you about him enough. But Dijon Stribling is a wide receiver there who's not new. He had, let me see, he had 44 catches last year, 471 yards but not a national name. They are shifting offensively up there and evolving offensively into sort of a product that's going to chuck it around constantly. They've got the quarterback to do it, and they also have a 6'4", 205-pound receiver here that can run extremely fast, never drops balls, very, very good reception guy. And I think that because they lost their top two receivers and you've got this pretty unique quarterback, emerging wide receiver combo, If there's some disruptor out in the Pac-12, you're probably looking at it here. It's probably Washington State, and it's probably due in large part to Deshaun Stribling at wide receiver putting up much bigger numbers than you thought was possible because you may not have even known his name before the season started. Let's go all the way across the country to Clemson. They lost a couple of corners to the NFL draft. Uh, So Booth, Goodrich, both out. Well, you're going to hear a lot of folks talk about who they lost. Who do they have? They've got Nate Wiggins. And Nate Wiggins is a guy, you talk to Michigan or talk to Clemson's offensive players, they'll tell you, he's kind of like the best player that we've gone against. I'm glad he's on our side. Former four-star guy from Atlanta. He wasn't an unknown. Uh, He's been up there for a full year. So he's coming in. He played 128 snaps last year. So he's not totally green. Had a great spring. Coaches raved about him. Had a great summer. So he's got his head fully on straight. Knows the opportunity in front of him. Got a new coordinator, but promoted from within up there. So it's not anything new. He's not having to wrap his head around a new system. That guy's got all ACC corner potential. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's not on any preseason list, but it would not surprise me at all to see him there come season's end. And also a guy that we talked about last week at Alabama, uh, who has a name that bears repeating right quick, is Treshawn Holden. Uh, Treshawn Holden's in the enviable position of playing for the best team in the country, at least the number one rated team in the country, and also playing a position that's premium for them now, wide receiver. It wasn't that 10 years ago. It very much is now. And so it's a proven system they have there. And the other benefit for him is he just has to be a weapon. He doesn't have to be the weapon. Because you got Ja'Cory Brooks there, and you got Jermaine Burton, and a couple of young guys. Isaiah Bond could flash for them. Kobe Prentice could flash for them. Maybe if JoJo Earle gets back from injury, he could flash for him. And so Treshawn Holden is just a 6'3", 215-pound guy, very, very deceptive speed, long strider. And he's, he's played some for him. He's had a great fall camp. You keep hearing his name. And so he's going to get an opportunity. Now, what he does with it is up to him. But this could be a guy that when we start watching Alabama advance, and everyone right now, preseason, they're saying, I don't see a Devontae Smith over there. I don't see a Jalen Waddle. Maybe they don't have one. Uh, But you know, you can have a really good receiving core and not have those kind of guys, especially in the aggregate if you just have a bunch of really good players. And Trashawn Holden has the opportunity to be one of a few really good players at wide receiver for Alabama this year. So those are some breakout candidates in the year of our Lord 2022. We can't get out of here without talking about what's right in front of us, and that's week zero. Yes, it's here. Ed asked, If I have any thoughts on these Week Zero games, well, yes, Ed. Now, I was not going to insult your intelligence. I was not going to do a wall-to-wall 20-minute breakdown of northwestern Nebraska. And the reason is because I have an eyelash in my eye. The second reason is because we wouldn't do that in Week 5. I'll give you the same gambling advice. Don't be treating this game in Week Zero any differently than you would if it was in Week 5. Some of you are going to dig yourselves inexplicable financial holes this week, and it's avoidable. I'm not betting any game this week. I'm not on a single week zero game. So Nebraska's favored by 13 and a half. This game kicks off at 12.30 Eastern time Saturday from the cradle of college football, as I like to call it, Dublin, Ireland. There is immense pressure on Nebraska. Make no mistake about that. I don't care what they're favored by. You see that three and nine last year. That means point spreads don't matter to you. If they're rolling a football out on the field and they're keeping score, you've got a threat to lose. And they especially do here. Now, this game, I don't really think it needs to be broken down. Nebraska's the far better team. They got the far better talent roster. They should win the game. Frankly, they should win the game by more than the 13 and a half point spread. It's not a pick from me. I mean, I'm siding with Nebraska, but we're not going against the spread on this one. But what I will say is the only thing to watch here, it's going to sound so simple, but this is the literal name of the game for Nebraska. Do they lose the game? And if they don't, they'll win it. Now, how about that for analysis? If you don't lose it, you're going to win it. Uh, That is hearkening back to an age-old philosophy that most coaches will tell you about this game, college football, and that is pretty much the whole season, but especially in the first few weeks, far more games are lost than they are won. And if you've watched this sport for any length of time, you know what week zero, week one, the first couple of games of the year sometimes look like. Sometimes, you watch a couple of teams, and they're just they're playing a game, as Jim Ross would say, that is bowling shoe ugly, and you almost think to yourself, it's a shame someone has to win this. It's just, here, you take it. No, you take it. Well, if Nebraska kicks the ball around, turnovers, special teams are a mess, they're overall flat like they were against South Alabama once upon a time when they started the season, they can lose the game. That would be them losing the game. If they just merely take care of business, if, they just, if they're probably just minus one or better, they can afford to lose the turnover battle. Just don't lose it by two or three. They win the game. I personally couldn't care less if it's by three or 30. They need to win the game, come home, get ready for North Dakota, I think, and Georgia Southern, and then we know we got that Oklahoma game a few weeks down the road. Uh, let's also just give a, a token shout out to our friends from the 605 here. They are out in Honolulu getting ready. For a showdown, Vandy in Hawaii. A showdown. Vandy favored by eight. They're going to play several freshmen. Kind of interested to see how they look along the uh, line of scrimmage. I, I don't make much of that one. <laughs> we have not broken that one down. The model thinks the line is right, so there's no action for me on that one. Uh, and there's one more thing I wanted to address as we get out of here. I had a lot of people, a lot of people, come at me and ask why Cincinnati, Arkansas, for the Every Given Saturday tour. Why wouldn't you go to Utah versus Florida? Well, it's very simple. I've laid out the criteria before, but I'll do it once more. I want to go to Arkansas because we've never been there. That's the first thing. The second thing is, as I've told you, we try and see as many teams as possible. There's virtually no shot we'll get to see any G5 team again this year, much less Cincinnati. Uh, As I said, we have not been able to see Arkansas in person. If you'll look at Florida's schedule, if Florida is good and they start winning, there are several dates, several down the road, where we'll probably have an opportunity to see Florida. Likewise, if Utah goes in there and wins, then Utah sets themselves up to have the inside track to hosting USC in a few weeks, undefeated. Therefore, we could get to Salt Lake City. And why not go to Ohio State Notre Dame? Because we think Ohio State is going to handle Notre Dame. That's why. And there are several more opportunities to see the Buckeyes. I I don't see a scenario where we don't see Ohio State in person. And if Notre Dame were to pull the upset, I don't see a scenario where we don't see them in person. So that is why. I think I gave you like 14 reasons. That is why. A quick reminder. Boom. Quick reminder. Next week's weird. It always is. So Thursday night, we will not have a show. We'll we'll be here Sunday. We'll be here Tuesday. I'm going to head to Fayetteville early to do some stuff up in northwest Arkansas. But Thursday night, remember... Penn State and Purdue kickoff. We got the Backyard Brawl. Pitt in West Virginia, I think, is a 6 o'clock Eastern time kickoff or thereabouts. So we're not going to go heads up against actual college football. We're here to talk about it when it's not happening. But we're not going to make you choose. We wouldn't do that to you. So everything will be bumped up. Our Sunday show, for example, the next show we do, we'll do full week one predictions. And then our Tuesday show will be like our normal Thursday shows will. So that's a little modified schedule next week. And then, of course, the Sunday night show's got to be a little bit earlier because you got a Sunday night game. So anyway, week one is always wobbly, and then we'll be back on track from week two and beyond. Appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you like the video on the way out and subscribe, not only to the channel, but also to the podcast if you haven't already. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. It's here, it's here, it's here. So happy to have our friend, college football, back. Until Sunday night, take care, enjoy the games, and God bless.